Right, hello strangers and welcome to episode 34 of Strangers in the Cinema, your weekly dose of unfiltered film chat with myself Paul Anderson and my co-host Pete Wall. Pete. Hello everyone. How the uh, devil are you? Good to be back man. Uh, episode 34 of this show. Uh, what have you been up to of late? Watching films? <laughs> yes. Watching wa- films and that. I've been watching some films. Um, See I've- listeners, we're working on this part. This is where we have a sort of um, impromptu, unplanned, casual chat, but it turns out that we're not actually capable of doing no, that. No, but it, it caught me out, to be honest. Um, I've been away on a course with work, uh, and then I went to celebrate a friend's whiskey stroke baby shower, which and was that, basically, um, uh, it was good. I didn't feel the best yesterday. So instead of um, instead of um, showering the expectant mother with gifts, we showered the expectant father with whiskey. Not literally, because that would be weird. Uh, so yeah, it was good fun. And you showered some someone's kitchen table with vomit, I would imagine. Uh, thankfully not. I managed to help, I managed to hold myself together, which Moving was which swiftly is good. on so, from yes. that horrendous yes. image. Uh, yeah, well, nice. Yeah, I've had a pretty good weekend. I went out for a uh, little business lunch. That was that was a, a high point for me. Um, well, we've got a big thing that's featured this week, really, haven't we? And it's going to take up uh, prominence in this episode, which is our feature review of, of Kong Skull Island, because we both had the chance to see that this week. And um, I went to see it twice, which may have been a little you advice, but we'll bastards. get to that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, back to sort of film stuff at hand. We've got the usual sections of the show this week that you've come to know and surely love. Those are um, the coming attraction sequence that we do. No, false. No, false. No, you've forgotten about your own show. You've come to know and love them. I've come to love them, but don't really know them. No, so we're going to start. Take this off me. Take it off me. As as we've explained many times in the past, it's a bit like a trip to the cinema. So we've got the popcorn counter. We've got popcorn movies, Pete. You you remembering how this this kind of goes now? So then we've got coming attractions. We pick a trailer we're quite excited about. Then we've got our feature reviews. This week is just focused on Kong Skull Island. Uh, and then we pay credit to things that we enjoy or think you might enjoy within the filmic world. Yeah, that's right. At the end of that, we'll just sign off with our usual line from a film. Um, last week, Paul did a line. We'll explain what that was when we get to that bit at the end of the show. But first of all, let's jump straight into popcorn movies, as we are prone to doing it about this time. Paul, what have you got first for popcorn movies this week? Well... Uh, continuing my um, eye-opening voyage through kind of trashy exploitation cinema um, and basically trying to watch things I actually spend money on in the Blu-ray shop or notably CEX uh, where I had a bit of a haul in CEX in Bristol of a load of 88 film releases Um, so that brings me to The Suckling aka Sewage Baby right Uh, haven't seen this uh, on TV, you know, cropping up recently. Haven't none, no one in my sort of immediate family or friendship group had recommend uh, recommended Sewage Baby to me up to now. What okay. am I missing out on? Man? Well, it's it's a nineteen nineties uh, sort of campy exploitation horror movie directed by Francis Terry. Um, and what I love about eighty eight films is, as you've, if you regular listeners will know, if if I'm struggling to to um, talk at all, in fact, or describe the plot of a film, uh, what's good about the eighty eight film releases is it enables me to just read the back which does a better story of setting the scene than I will do. So, Or a better job, even. Or a, a better story, and or a better job. See, I'm, so, without further ado... Uh, or a do. Or a do. <laughs> <laughs> do macabre movies get any more gloriously tasteless than 1990s notorious nasty slice of creature feature campiness, I like that. suckling? I like that rhetorical question, because the answer yes. might well be yes, <laughs> yes, but we leave it to assume that the answer also is Also no. known as Sewage Baby, this body horror frightener goes where few fear flicks would ever dare by focusing on an aborted fetus, which comes into contact with some radioactive slime and ends up with a new lease of life. Okay. Um, 
The result is a tiny, almost unborn terrorizer that is ready to attack anyone in its wake. Uh, unashamedly sleazy, but also strangely topical. I'm not convinced by that one. Uh, the cycling pulls a few punches, and for lovers of maniacally bad movies, this is one of the finest and funniest late-night monster movies ever to haunt your nightmares. I'm looking it up, but wasn't there a thing called, like, Hell Baby? Yeah, Rob Corddry and, and stuff like that were involved in Hell Baby a, a few years ago, which I remember seeing and sort of forgetting quite quickly, but they had some fun doing that. Is it funny? Is it does it play for laughs? Is it gory? What I think it what's the hook? It tries to play for laughs. Um, it's I think as usual with the back of these boxes, it's given it too far too much credit. Um, the kind of bits with the creature, the physical effects on the creature are quite entertaining. Um, and there's an occasional moment of of humorous gore. Um, but for the most part, unfortunately, it's a bit crap. The characters um, are absolutely dreadful. Um, the actors, I, I'm not going to name them because they're not worthy of being named, to be honest, are terrible. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of them irritate more. Whether they're trying to be funny or not, I don't know, but the characters serve to irritate more than to entertain, mm. uh, which does sap quite a lot of the enjoyment out of what actually could have been quite a funny B-movie. actually just turns into a slog, really. Um, and I think much like I said with Slaughterhouse a few weeks back uh, yet another one for kind of genre completionist only I think yeah so yeah not so great. so in summary how many aborted sewage babies out of five aborted sewage babies would you give this thing <laughs> I would give this uh, two aborted sewage babies two no extra like dismembered limbs or anything like that no. to add to those no two. just, those just two. the two yeah Fair enough. Well, we'll leave that to die on the floor and move on to uh, my first... Uh, well, I'm going to take a real left turn here because my first uh, popcorn movie for this week is uh, Wes Anderson's movie, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I caught up with for the first time, which is ridiculous and shameful of me because it's been out like eight or nine years at this point. Seven that or eight came years. out while I was at uni, which is... 2000, 2009, this one. Um, yeah, I don't know why it's taken me so long. I, I am a little ambivalent on... Wes Anderson at large um, because the great stuff I love um, I've got a lot of time for Bottle Rocket really early Wes Anderson I like less things like uh, The Life Aquatic and Royal Tenenbaum sorry to hardcore Wes Anderson fans on that and then came back around with like Moonrise Kingdom um, which I liked a lot more recently and of course Grand Budapest Hotel was pretty good Grand Budapest Hotel was good yeah I kind of I kind of know where you're coming from that. I, I like a lot of his films I don't love all of his films um, Rushmore I really liked yeah um, yeah I like Rushmore too I mean there's there's a sensibility here that you can kind of either go for or not and, and Wes Anderson is someone that like once you're hooked in with something like this movie for instance the, the touches and the attention to detail are exactly what make it stand out and make it such an absolute pleasure. The amount of care that he puts into every frame of his work, love it or loathe it, is undeniable. Mm. And yeah, the case here is that we've got the Roald Dahl tale through the filter of Wes Anderson's filmmaking. I mean, it's as simple as that. The dialogue uh, nips along at a pace. It, some of it is very, very funny. Some like physical humour that's in it, some stuff on screen that makes you laugh. Some of the character ideas are really, really funny and engaging. Um, we've got all host of, of voice actors from Jason Schwartzman, who's in everything that Wes Anderson does, <laughs> through Meryl Streep, Bill Murray, who's a favourite, obviously, George Clooney. Um, we've also got here, oh, Willem Dafoe, Owen Wilson, who comes up in a lot of his stuff, and should mention uh, Jarvis Cocker, 
who has a, yeah, a, a, nice, a nice appearance as a character who looks exactly like Jarvis Cocker and behaves a little bit like you might imagine Jarvis The animation Cocker, in it I thought was great as well. Like, fantastic. It's such a nice looking film, yeah. Yeah, it, it was one of those films, and these come around just a few times per year if you're lucky, I think, where big sections of this, I was just smiling like an idiot at the screen. It, whether I was sort of laughing out loud all the time or not, just so, it made me so happy, so much of this movie. I think it there's maybe a 10 minute section that sags a little bit somewhere in the middle, but yeah big recommend on fantastic mr fox if you like anything wes anderson's done and you haven't caught up with it yet don't be put off by the idea that maybe it's an outlier because it's a you know sort of stop motiony animation film it's it's really great fun and beautifully done and a real um a real gem i think in the crown i remember when i watch it again actually i I saw it i did see it at the cinema i haven't seen it since so it'll almost be like watching a new film on the i mean you know sort of inside talk here but on the on the visual setup that you've got at the moment at home I mean it's just going to look better than the first time that you saw it I'm, I'm really disappointed that I missed it at the cinema at this point I can't go back in time mm. and, and correct that but yeah it was really really great what have you got uh, secondly this week Paul? Uh, I've got Eye in the Sky which is a 2015 uh, thriller by Gavin Hood um, starring Helen Millen, Aaron Rickman, Aaron Paul, among others. I believe it's Alan Rickman's last film, but someone at home will probably correct me on that one. But yeah, the chronology is. sometimes is yeah. funny, isn't it? When, when they were made yeah. and when they released. Um, and it's basically a, a thriller set set around a kind of a drone a drone strike. Really, there's there's kind of a a, one, a very obviously highly wanted terrorist in Kenya, mm. um, and Aaron Paul plays a drone pilot. He's obviously monitoring him, and they're trying to capture these people as a group of terrorists actually but they're, they're trying to capture these people and then Helen Mirren plays this sort of colonel decides actually and Alan Rickman plays obviously her superior as well uh, and they decide that they're actually going to kill them with a drone strike but there's potential for collateral damage where the little girl gets in the way um, I really enjoyed this actually I, I really liked it I thought it was I thought it was, it's, it's timely um, it kind of it, there was another film with Ethan Hawking called Good Kill which mm, just reminded me of a bit which actually there was similarities but I think this this was more interesting from as a straight up thriller I thought it was quite tense from start to finish um, and certainly asked some good questions of the audience as well because I think it's it's very easy to kind of sit back especially if you're left leaning to kind of sit back and, and read the papers and hammer on about how horrible drone strikes are and, and this and that and certainly there are questions to be asked of them um, but the way they kind of structure this film is that you know there's the risk of killing this girl in the drone strike but also the people are obviously preparing like immediately to go and strap suicide vests and go and kill other people so it's kind of about it's kind of a film about that that makes you ask questions that okay either none of this is this is not an ideal situation we are at war and do you sacrifice one girl's life for the sake of potentially saving 80 and I really like the film I really like the film the way the film asks you yeah that some interesting sort of ethical yeah. quandaries that you can get into with, with this movie and uh, you also get that um that good stuff or I enjoyed anyway where you've got these sort of blithering beta figures in the UK oh, in who the are just, Command Centre yeah yeah who are all in a sort of comfortable office making yeah. these decisions where like you say I mean with drone strike it's such at arm's length that even the operatives like we have in this film who are on the ground who have to actually enact um, like putting a little um, like mini drone yeah. into a situation they're at such greater risk than the people who are thousands of miles away yeah. just watching monitors as if this is some kind of video yeah, game it, which it, is... yeah it certainly raises those questions and it was it was actually it was tense as well I think I really I, it, it's not that long a film which is nice because it packs quite a lot in I just thought it was really tense and it's nice to see director Gavin Hood actually make a good film again because mm. I, I mean I'd, I watched Totsie all those years ago and really really loved Totsie uh, and then 
he then directed i think i believe his start in hollywood was the just frankly risable x-men origins wolverine um right. and since then I've, he's kind of fallen off my radar and I well, thought and that it was even, a shame it looks even worse in the light of, of logan that we've just yeah and i kind of and gavin hood had fallen off my radar and I, I, I to this day i probably couldn't tell you what he's directed between this and and i and I in the sky i, I can tell you right now paul what, please what do. I'll do for my please co-host do. uh well most recently i think it would have been um ender's game okay um, Ender's Game was the the Wilson Scott card yeah. novel, the yeah. sci-fi novel for sort of teens that was adapted, and I still haven't seen it. I read that book years ago, but I've not seen it, and I don't think, honestly, sorry again because mm. I'm going to get hate hate from a lot of people. But I don't think it's a particularly good sci-fi novel for teens either. But um, has a has a huge following, and particularly in the United States. But yeah, um, not anything that's going to make you think that. You know, okay, Iron so the Sky isn't the best of right. Okay. Good, really. Well, anyway, but it's it's nice to see a director that I was a fan of with his earlier work uh, come back and actually make what I would consider to be a good film. And uh, yeah, if you if you're interested in thrillers, um, it it tells a slightly different. As I mentioned, Good Kill earlier, Good Kill kind of focuses more on the psychological effects on the pilot rather than the kind of ethical question of of how you do warfare. So it is an interesting companion piece to Good Kill. But yeah, highly, highly recommended. Check out Eye in the Sky if you haven't already. Cool. Um, last for me today, I was um, I was going to cover, and still I'm going to cover, uh, Christine. This is one of two films... You want to, is this another John Carpenter kick? It on? isn't, you know, it's, no. it's funny. Yeah, it, it would make sense if I were following up my John Carpenter review from last time with another one, but I'm not. This is Christine from last year. Uh, it came out the same year as the f- document... Well, sort of documentary blend with drama which was Kate plays Christine where there's an actress uh, going through the motions of okay. playing the role of Christine Chubbuck here is the uh, the newsreader um, in the United States who in the 1970s um, committed suicide live on air um, it would make well out of the gate I should say this is Anto- oh wow I've heard, yes I wasn't aware this film was about that but I am aware of that story right this is Antonio Campos who again to my eternal discredit he, he made Simon Killer and after school Simon Killer is superb right both yeah, of which really I intend to catch up with and haven't so you've seen Simon Killer so this was yeah, someone Simon that you Killer's would be, really good, yeah. be yeah. interested in already yeah, yeah. um the story would make a, a really interesting, I think, companion or, or double bill with something like Nightcrawler that we reviewed mm. not that long ago. And, of course, I mean, the obvious one is, is Network, because this is all about the way that the network for which uh, Christine Chubbuck was working seems to be, at least in this dramatisation with, with Rebecca Hall playing the central character, seems to be under all this pressure to bring... Um, uh, what's the word like sort of sex up news reports mm. or bring more um, blood and splatter and and you know I remember in Nightcrawler we have the line if it uh, bleeds it leads which yeah. apparently was bandied about in newsrooms at the time and in this thing it's one of the factors that's closing in on Christine Chubbuck throughout the nar- narrative in combination with that there's an issue with um, a uh, one of her ovaries needs to be removed, which puts into jeopardy her ability to become a mother in the future. She's also turning 30, so she's thinking a little bit, uh, particularly in the 1970s, 30, you know, is mm. probably what 40 is now, yeah. uh, I guess, yeah. to a certain degree. Uh, yes, uh, she's, you know, bringing to stark focus where she is in her life, where she is professionally, and she really wants to advance to that next level, but it seems that what's holding her back is that she wants to do human interest stories, and the station is not interested in that. They're interested in, you know, stories about people who've been murdered or been killed in car accidents or whatever it might be the most sensational story available 
I think that the director here and um, particularly Rebecca Hall in the central role do a pretty good job of bringing this story to life, particularly if it's not something that you're incredibly familiar with already. Mm. I haven't seen Kate plays Christine at this point. I hadn't read a lot about the case other than no, I think, well, knowing the Maybe the like you, I knew of this case. Mm. And that's of it. I knew, I kind of knew it happened, and that's all I know about it. So it, it doesn't assume prior knowledge. Then I take yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. And but having said that, Paul, I mean, I think there's an interesting thing that came to mind here. That this film hit me quite hard when we get to the sequence that you know is coming throughout. However, you have to, I guess, at a certain point, you have to separate how much is this like a hot button topic for certain people, and and just a very upsetting turn of events, and how much is it really strong. Um, evocative emotional filmmaking because I think when that moment comes however you'd got to it it's going to have an impact mm. because it is a horrible tragedy and a very public tragedy and I think yeah I, I was ready for it to hit me hard and it, and it did I, I'm not sure this is a great film okay but I think it's an interesting it's one take and one exploration of, of that story um, again I be a little bit wary I mean if suicide is something that is close to you it, it, you have to be in the right place I think and you have to take a little bit of care before just jumping into something like Christine um, but if you are interested I, I would say come for, for uh, Rebecca Hall's performance because it's very very strong cool well, thank you that takes us to coming attractions, doesn't it? I believe it does indeed, Paul. It does. I'll uh, I'll jump in if you don't mind because I'm very excited about this trailer, which I think drops yesterday or a couple of days ago. Certainly, quite recently, this trailer's dropped. Anyway, uh, this is um, Joan Wick. Would you say from the trailer? <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds fair. You should probably explain what it is. I that should you're probably explain about, what it is because actually like the, film, the film is not called Joan Wick, even though it, it seems like it perhaps we it should be. We probably need that film. Um, it's it's Atomic Blonde, uh, starring Charlie Theron, directed by David Leitch, who I believe is the uncredited. Well, I think there was some confusion over who directed the original John Wick, but it is a combination of Chad Stowarski and David Leitch, and I think David Leitch was possibly uncredited. Hmm. But David Leitch is directing Atomic Blonde, which is the trailer I'm now talking about, not Joan Wick. But if you watch the trailer, you might find the joke funny. Probably won't, in which case I apologise. But Atomic Blonde, and basically from the trailer, it's it looks does look quite similar in setup to John Wick. Um, Charlie Theron is kicking all kinds of ass in the trailer. The action scenes look superb. Um, supported by Toby Jones, John Goodman and Sophia Batella. Um it just looks like a whole lot of fun very much in the vein of in the vein of John Wick. Mm. Um and if you know more visceral action movies where you can see what's going on and there's bone crunching violence I'm all for. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so, something that's that's yeah like you say full of action and not boring because yes. I think we got a lot of action movies that were quite boring for a period of time. Yes. And, if, and if this John Wick uh, renaissance is going to bring us out of that then fantastic Joan Wick bring it on. <laughs> um my coming attraction for this time around is The Circle. The Circle is a film... I, I say it's a, it's my featured coming attraction um, at, with a bit of trepidation because of the, the content, but this is uh, James Ponsolt's movie. Uh, James Ponsolt uh, is a director that you'll know... Well, that I come to with, with most enthusiasm through The Spectacular Now, which was oh, I enjoyed that. a couple yeah. of years ago, yeah. really enjoyable. Uh, the end of the tour, he did the thing about David Foster Wallace. Again, a bit split on that one because I like David Foster Wallace a lot. Uh, but um, yeah, The Circle tells the story of a powerful tech company. Uh, I think it's Emma Roberts shows up at this... Uh, Emma Roberts. Emma Watson 
shows up at this tech company and takes a job there. Tom Hanks is the sort of benevolent leader of the army of, of tech heads at this place. And it seems like it's going to explore themes of um, surveillance and privacy in a sort of Facebook uh, Twitter age that, that we now all, all live in social media connected age it also features the late Bill Paxton another reason to attract people I think to this uh, Karen Gillan um, we've got Baba Yeager John Boyega in there and uh, <laughs> oh, above all um, shout to my boy uh, Ella Coltrane Boyhood is in this well, I think when we watched the trailer uh, just previous to, to the podcast uh, Pete did get very excited and he was like oh my god Boyhood's in it Boyhood's in it I'm in <laughs> Boyhood's in it or if it uh, Jacob Tremblay or Boyhood and I'm there uh, yeah the reason I say trepidation is because I don't know if you've caught up with this yet but um, you know the, the movie that was made uh, Steve Jobs with Michael Fassbender I haven't caught up with it yet which yeah. is strange did, did, which is remiss of me I found but... it pretty unengaging and pretty dull and, and stark and, and not not too much to uh, to get excited about and then we've seen like garbage like that one with Owen Wilson where they go to work for Google for a little while or the internship is that yeah yeah so hopefully that's head and shoulders above all those James Ponsolt has a bit of pedigree so enthusiastic for when this this comes out and uh slated for April 2017 so we'll probably see it like the month after that oh and Atomic Blonde that. is August I think isn't it yeah but the trailers right. the, both of those trailers you can find on uh, find on YouTube so uh, or wherever so, you get your trailers yes. from kids yes Right, Paul. We've got all of that stuff out of the way because there's something roaring into focus. It's going to be a... there's a there's something big casting a shadow over the uh, podcast. I think. Yeah, let's not fly our little helicopters around it anymore. <laughs> let's 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 get let's scale the Empire State Building. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Kong Skull Island, which is our feature one and only feature review for this week because we wanted to give it some time and space so that we can really get our teeth into this. Thing. I think we need to go in some kind of an order here, Paul. So before we get into actually breaking down the movie itself, I want you to tell me what you were thinking or what your expectations were going into the cinema to see Kong Skull Island before you got to see any of what had actually been, been put out there. I was pretty excited, to be honest. I, I saw the trailer. Um, I like the director, Jordan Vogt Roberts, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Vogt Roberts. Vogt Roberts, Jordan Vogt Roberts from uh, Kings of Summer, which we both really liked. Um, I saw the trailer for Kong Skull Island. I thought, okay, Tom Hiddleston's there, Brie Larson's there, John Goodman's there, Samuel L. Jackson's there. Have I hit all the major? I think I've hit all the major roles there, haven't I, in terms of... I think so. I think yeah. I have, yeah. So, no, genuinely excited. I thought this, you know, this, this John, looks John C. like... Riley? You John C. Riley? John C. Riley. I didn't mention John C. Riley. John C. Riley. I thought this this looks good, you know. Um, I quite, I really enjoyed the pre the, the recent um, Gareth Edwards Godzilla film, and I thought, okay, it is another reboot, but I'll give it a chance. Um, yeah. I'm um, a big fan of the Kong character, so... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it seems less time, but it's been 12 years since oh, Peter Jackson really? wow. tackled King Kong, because that was 2005. So, yeah, it's been over a decade since that movie came out. So you think maybe that's enough time for such a popular you know, character to take a, a position back on screen again. Um, with this thing also, we have that intrigue, don't we, where we've got a somewhat sort of indie-bred director yeah. taking on a $200 million which is which, which is what they did with Godzilla in fairness with, right with and what they did with, with, with Jurassic World yeah. as well which we've talked about on the show as well yeah. Um, now yeah I'm, I was with you on that stuff I was really excited about this I mean I was so excited to the point where I was saying okay um, I, I had to get a viewing in before we were going to record the show for sure so we booked that one up then I promised my girlfriend I'm going to go and see it with her so we booked that up in IMAX as well I was thinking I might see this 
three, four times in the cinema. I've seen it twice because I made those bookings in advance. I'm not going to be seeing it again. Um, I think that could be a way to bring us into what... First of all, what's the setup here? Because we shouldn't skip over that. What's the setup in terms of the actual narrative of how uh, Vote Roberts decides to deal with the con? So you have um, John Travolta and team uh, work for Monarch, who were the company that feature briefly in the Godzilla film as well. So this is the other reason I was excited just before we get into that is this potentially does set up. And apparently if you do wait till after the credits, it does set up Godzilla too. But it does. Um, I've seen it. So that that's why I was quite excited. Godzilla versus Kong. I'm a big monster fan. Yes. Okay. So you've got John Goodman's kind of monarch team going. Oh, we've we've there's this island we want to go and check out. It's constantly surrounded by storms. You can't get there, but we think there's something quite interesting on it. Let's put a team together to go to the island. Mm. So they hire Tom Hiddleston's kind of uh, really stereotypical and absolutely flat, one-dimensional um, hunter-tracker character to, to well, guide them around. that's not in the synopsis, but no, we're bringing some no. editorial into this and thing. Then they, um, and then they, um, Brie Larson decides to come along and take photos of absolutely everything all of the time. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a, a self-described um, sort of anti-war photographer. Yes. Um, and then they, they have a military escort to, to take them there, um, obviously to get them through the storm and I assume to protect them from the things possibly tribes people that kind of thing so yeah to give them that sort of know-how on the ground once so they, they all go they all go to the island um and then it thinks it's platoon i think at this point um yeah i mean we'll, <laughs> we'll get you, into you that got later to but, that point yeah, yeah you got to that point i wanted to say a couple of things here um on the fact that i would say actually having seen it for a second time that it sounds really really sad to say this but maybe my favorite sequence of the film is the setup to going to Skull Island. Now, I think that's probably quite damning to the film Kong Skull Island because when we had Peter Jackson's film, which we'll get into, when they get to Skull Island, it's been so long coming that yeah. it's such a glorious section yes. of the film. In this, I, it kind of flipped for me. The stuff where they're setting up the sort of Vietnam era environment, mm. and you've got a lot of nice touches. We're in Bangkok and we're in Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon as it was there uh, at that time. Um, I think actually on second viewing, very nicely done and when we're setting out to Skull Island everything's just so everything's very much in place I think we've got this team together we've seen how they're supposed to as Paul was describing how they're supposed to lock into certain generic kind yeah. of roles and then we actually have them breaking through the storm by the way in like 400 helicopters where they seem to have about five on the aircraft yes that was bizarre yeah an odd yeah. touch breaking through this storm to get to Skull Island and then, next. The film just disappears into a big bag of shit, to be perfectly frank. Um, I, I don't really know what happens. It just it just descends into kind of chaos. Um, well, Kong, Kong shows up immediately. Kong shows up immediately. And you said you, you saw an interview with the director saying how much, you know, he, he didn't really, you got the impression he didn't really like uh, Jackson's handling of Kong in the 2005 film. Yeah, he, he was very um, quick to uh, lord the 33 Kong, rightly so. But seemed to have um, he didn't he wasn't too interested in making any comparisons with Pete Jackson's film. I, I think he but was the, skipping over it a bit. Which is which is all well and good and fair enough. I like the fact that Kong does stand on stand on two legs and it does bring him closer to the thirty three original. Which incidentally I watched a couple of weeks ago, which I don't think has helped uh, with my lack of enjoyment of Kong Skull Island. But what the thirty three original got and what Peter Jackson's two thousand and five remake got is that Kong was a character, not just a big CGI monster. Like Kong was in it all the time, which which takes any threat away from him, um, and he was just a roaring beast. There was the in the the the, the kind of 
cloying attempts to make him a character with just like one particular scene that was just a complete rip off of where they touched the dinosaur sitting in the tree in Jurassic Park they're like oh we've touched Kong's nose he must be a character well it got sort of like, gorillas no. in the mist as well at that, yeah. at that point yeah I mean so picking up I mean sort of where we left off yeah it goes it's bit... made me angry you can tell because I keep drifting off topic but <laughs> <laughs> don't start smashing the place up um <laughs> Yeah, we we get this sequence played for sort of visceral thrills where Kong's, you know, uh, batting helicopters out of the sky. And, and, you know, it's exciting to a certain extent. But then we're on the ground with different units have been separated. And that's, Paul, where I think it runs into a problem as well in the way it's been set up. Because you you spread out your characters, of which there are a number here, uh, over various points on the island. And they're in communication with each other, sort of patchy communication on, on the radio. But then narratively, we have to keep jumping from one crew to another crew. And you mentioned this coming I out. I lost track of who was supposed to be where. I, I completely lost track of, of certain characters. Certain well, Toby characters. Kebble, oh, Toby Kebble. I thought Toby Kebble was in it. Again, another another complete waste of talent. Um, Toby Kebble, I wasn't even aware he'd been separated from the group. And then it, it, was, it was kind of so frenetic and all happened so quickly that I was just like, I don't know where everyone is. And oh, they've got split up from Samuel Jackson and his military cronies like and then like, there was so many but there was almost too many characters in it like um the military guy who blows himself up with grenades towards the end uh, spoiler warning um in what is obviously a homage to platoon i've recognized the guy's I think, face i think the spoiler, actor, spoiler warnings do work better when you say them before they, you i am aware spoiler. Of this, yeah, but um yeah and like there's there's so many characters going on that you, you didn't have time for any of the characters to develop and you certainly didn't have time to to build a relation you know a relationship with any of the characters um you know, Tom Hiddleston was so one sheet and did, did so little to do. Brie Larson, again, fantastically talented actress. Again, just so little to do. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get this. I mean, it was a criticism I levelled, for example, at uh, Dark, uh, The Dark Knight, where I thought there were too many characters and you have to keep jumping and, and cutting up your screen time mm. all the time to get different people. Now, there's nothing to compare between those two films. But, yeah, I think it is a problem because here why not have a central focal point later in the film there's a, a a fairly limp attempt to make some semblance of a romantic interest between um brie larson's character and, and tom hiddleston's for a second and i felt like it's only because they're both good looking that's the only reason i can sure, think they would there was no but, i think we're coming from yeah I, I think in a different film there would be nothing wrong with that being the case had they had a tighter focus on a couple of characters or a small crew. Mm. And the whole point about, you said um, quite rightly that, that Kong is a character in and of himself, right? Skull Island is kind of a character, right? I would agree with that, yeah. You should feel intimidated there. You should feel sort of out of your element and out of your depth. And I think the, the main problem with, with this version of Kong is that we jump so quickly from one sort of, oh, here's one exciting show-stopping scene to the next, to the next, to the next. And we're just, you know, joining those dots together with expository stuff that you never get a real sense of environment and place and threat and scale. And I think one thing, and I'm not going to harp on it too much in this review, but one thing that Peter Jackson got so right is that he'd pull away from shots. He'd show levels. He'd show, you know, where the, the jungle is sort of all around you, where you've, you've got to navigate this environment, like you had in a film like Avatar, for mm. example. It's a terrible film narratively, I think, but the environment was immersive. That never worked but for me. I mean, am I, but also, am I no, going I, too far? I agree with you, and I think unless you're George Miller, um, action needs to have context in order for it to work. 
Mm. And Kong has so much action in it, but there's no context to it. So it just feels flat. Mm. Um, and I think it, it shows that it's interesting. And, and I like the idea of taking uh, sort of indie directors and attaching them to, to big budget studio projects. I do like the idea of it. For me, it presents two problems. Um, and this one is that I don't think Vault Roberts can handle action very well um, because he's not got the experience to do it. And two, I there was no I did not watch this film and see any of the pure heart that I saw in Kings of Summer. I would argue that Vault Roberts probably had very little to do well, there with the actual making here. of this film. This this sounded to me this felt to me like a producer's film. And if it is just a as did um, Jurassic World. Um, if it's a if it's a case of attaching directors who are just going to get bullied by the studio, um, look at how Josh Trank was apparently treated on Fantastic Four, but Josh Trank seems to have taken the blame for that. Then I'd rather they just cast, you know, I'd rather they just cast hack directors um, because this felt like this felt just like the epitome of an average mediocre studio film. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Paul. I I, I think y yeah. First point to deal with, I think, is this this idea that that. First name, remind me, is it Sam Vote Roberts, the director of this? Jordan. Jordan. Jordan yeah. Before, yeah. Sorry. Jordan Vote Roberts. Um, I think that, that you're absolutely right to say that maybe he can't really deal with action, maybe he's out of his depth there. And I think, interestingly enough, I, the second time I saw it, I stayed for the credit sequence because at that point then I knew that yeah. there was going to be this like after credits Godzilla type thing. Um, it's probably in my recent memory, the longest credits I've ever seen in a film. Oh, like, okay. we are talking thousands of right. crew members. And so you know when you see that this stuff, there are multiple writers, for a start. Which doesn't normally end well. There are going to be second and third and fourth units in terms of filming the, the action and some of those dialogue sequences and stuff like that. There are, is going to be, or there are going to be so many cooks in, involved with this particular broth that... To get that to be coherent and cohesive, I think, is a real challenge and would take a director of the stature of, and again, sorry to go back to it, it's not my favourite film in the world, but Peter Jackson, mm. to really pull that stuff together. Interestingly here, it's not Weta Digital either, is it? No, it's, it's ILM. Yeah, it's, that's right. Um, I think, Paul, that we should, for the sake of balance, mention that, I, in my humble opinion anyway, there are some nice shots here. Standalone, nice shots. There are some things. When we see Kong rising up and we've got like the, the moon in the back or the sun in the background. No, in fairness, and yeah, no, I think I'll, I'll give you that. Like Kong, Kong looks cool. Um, there are some nice shots, but I think. But it's what's around that is so disappointing. Yeah, it's what hangs around it. Is a, a, and just, it's just such a criminal waste of acting talent with the characters these actors have been given to deal with. And John Goodman just appears and then dies. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, like, what and are John you doing? Goodman like, seem seemingly sort of just the. Channel, channeling his character in 10 Cloverfield Lane for the time that he's actually yeah. sort of on screen and being a sort of bit paranoid and edgy and then, yeah, summarily getting killed. Um, that's not really a spoiler. I think it's probably in the trailer. Or, no, probably, so let's yeah. say that it is. Um, yeah, and Sam Jackson just chewing the scenery and stepping on everybody else that he's performing with. I've got tired of Sam Jackson just being brought onto projects where people are in thrall of him because he is who he is and are so excited that he can bring this sort of movie star uh, glitz to to a role that I think they overlook the fact that the guy the guy oversteps in almost everything that he does and has no sense of restraint and that's fine <laughs> but you're not you're not the star here. You shouldn't be the star. Kong should be the star. Secondly, if anything, either Tom Hiddleston or Brie Larson should be the star. And 
if nothing else, John C. Riley should be the star. Yeah. And instead, we've got this guy, oh, just line deliveries that really galled me in just this, calm in down this film. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just so much. Like, turned up to 11 when there's not really a need for them to be. And also the writing of that character, where he's just such an unbelievable sort of pig-headed dick the whole time. Yeah. That... And we're supposed to believe that, that Tom Hiddleston here, who's some savvy military guy, just bows to his authority without any real question when they're in a life or death survival situation in an environment they've never explored before. Yeah. One more thing, and well, I'm sure there's a few more things, but one thing I want to ask you, Paul, how do you feel about the way that the characters respond to peril in this film? Because I felt it was particularly badly done. Like, characters just see things they've never seen before a scale they've never seen and, and a couple of beats later fine pretty much fine I mean doesn't that undercut the, the drama here yeah and again I think it, that comes down to the fact possibly there's multiple scriptwriters again and no one's really you know they're probably just writing a line of dialogue each and not actually sharing it with each other I don't know but yeah yeah, and yeah I just think you know to, to kind of to wrap on Kong really before we just moan and moan and moan on um, no, yeah, it was, it was just it. no. For me, it was just it was just bitterly disappointing. Um, you know, it doesn't help. I've seen the, the original film quite recently, um, and it certainly made me appreciate probably Jackson's Kong a lot more than I had done, mm. um, because at least in that film, Kong was a character, and in this, unfortunately, Kong is not. Skull Island is not, and the human characters you got there are a bit crap. And and you know, on the, the Peter Jackson thing, we get like the big climactic fight that you know is coming. And you get things like where Kong has the chance to dispose of an enemy in a particular way and doesn't, seemingly purely because that's what happens in Peter Jackson's film, mm. which for me just, just speaks to it being a, a lesser sort of telling of the same kind of a story. And also, I, how do you feel about the, fact, the monsters themselves? Because this, let's make no mistake, this is essentially an offshoot of like Jurassic World or something, at the point at which there are so many like dinosaur type figures in, the, in this thing. The main threat, I think on an animation level, pretty weak. And on a interaction with, with Kong, I, yeah, they look good on the poster, but in the film, I... Yeah, they kind of look like a they look like a rip off of the monsters in Godzilla, but I suppose that would make sense if they're tying into the same, sure. the same universe. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, it just was flat. Brie Larson looks really good in a vest. That's Brie Larson does look really good in a vest. And to balance it out, ladies, Tom Hiddleston looks great in a fitted t-shirt. Small t-shirt, so, yes, yeah, he we'll, we'll, we'll balance that out. And uh, that will, uh, with that, we'll close on close on the Mighty Kong. Uh, in this case, the not-so-Mighty Kong, I think, would be, would be fair to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to see it, I think the format to see it in is IMAX. But I say that with the the well with the fact in mind that you have to pay more for that experience and I'm not sure that it's actually worth your money so get you know if you've got a nice home cinema system wait for it to be available for cheap but we're going to go from we're going to move on to a positive note and that brings us to the closing part of the show which is credits where we play credit to something or someone related to films that we're quite keen on um shall I begin or would you like yeah, to go start ahead man okay. give me a second I want to just, just again, it's, it's only a brief section, but it was when I walked into the cinema to see Kong, actually. I happened to notice a poster for Logan that I hadn't seen before. Um, and the poster for Logan was awesome. It kind of, it looked it looked kind of hand-drawn, looked like the kind of sort of 70s Western posters. And basically, I just wanted to pay credit to, like, well-designed film posters and probably sort of to wider to, like, felt well-designed film artwork, really, because we were, you know, and I think it's just... It's something nice. It's something that you can you can take home with you. You can potentially buy them and put them up in your house, and it's it's nice. And I like it when they put a bit of effort into them. I like it when they look hand drawn. Um, we've got the classic sort of Drew Shrews and Stipes, which are good. 
is a mix of other things. And I think the cover, it's weird that I'm mentioning this on a on a podcast, the cover of this week's issue of NMA actually had a really nice bit of Kong Skull Island artwork on it, which again looks sort of hand-drawn and cartoony. Yeah, and I was just like, ah, oh, I really wish I'd like that film more. But it just, it's things like that where you go, yes, you know, rather than just, because some film posters you see are terrible. You don't really notice the terrible ones you do notice the good ones I think what would, I what would you free, say Free Fire as well Free Fire's like, poster is very cool yeah because really, that was what you previewed I think last yes. week on yeah. the coming attractions thing yeah really really cool and uh, yeah you see also these days Paul um, a lot online where you've got sort of you, you might have just made this exact point because I was looking at my phone so reprimand me if you yeah do. you won't listen to a word I said for that I, section, I, I listened to a couple of those words <laughs> but um, I was obsessing over what I was going to say next yeah uh, you see a lot of like n- not even like fan art efforts but as in like skilled artists well, reimagining producer, producer Connor's Quosters are a prime example of good film artwork which we shared a little while ago tremendous stuff. To share again, so. yeah you yeah. see the the image that, that Connor Gagan did for our uh, for our review of Interstellar and on the Facebook page yeah the Interstellar yeah, Quosters yeah, so, so things like that yeah so um check them out check, check out Connor's work have a look and you know see what other film posters you can find and like so, you know see See, have a look on sort of art websites and that kind of thing. And you can pick up some quite nice, like, alternative Spanish posters or even prints or that kind of thing. That's just worth a look if you are a fan. So that was that's my credit. Well, one thing week. I used to pick up, it's a, it's a perfect segue. One thing I used to pick <laughs> up when I was living in South Korea, in the cinema, they'd give away A4 sort of one-sheet posters for a lot of the films that came yeah. out. And now that I've kept some of those, they're fantastic. Cause oh, you, nice. Because I've got, like, This Is England, but it's a Korean poster for it. That's cool. Really, really cool. Uh, yeah, the reason why I dropped that in, that sort of self-indulgent point in, is that... I wanted to give credit this week to the director uh, Bong Joon-ho, who is uh, South Korean in origin. And the reason I want to do that is because um, his latest is called Okja, and it's uh, released later this year and stars Tilda Swinton and my boy Jake Gyllenhaal (laughs) uh, with his beautiful face. And it's about sort of um, interfering with nature through science and check out the trailer because it looks really fucking cool. But um, this is a director that we know um, or that you'll know from, uh, I think I came into in contact with first through uh, Memories of Murder but after that uh, The Host which was a box office um, record holder for a while in, in South Korea and then th- yeah, The Host is awesome yeah. um, and my favourite of his films probably uh, is Mother which is a terrific drama I've about yet to see Mother a mother, to watch, but... a mother will go to any lengths to defend her boy even if her boy might have done some bad stuff this is Mr Snowpiercer as well isn't it but which yeah we, I was just coming love, to the so. fact that we raved about Snowpiercer just a couple of years ago and it's the same director so I know a lot of people who listen to this or who interact with strangers in the cinema uh, are into or were into Snowpiercer if you were then stay tuned because Bong Joon-ho is coming back it's going to be his second English language uh, film the last Snowpiercer was sort of part in Korean part in the English language with subtitles of course um, yeah really excited about that really excited to have seen the trailer which just dropped so yeah bring it on uh, Paul sign us off for today well that brings us well that brings us almost to the end of the show uh, my film yeah tell us quote, what you did last time you, you did a my line, film right? quote was, was build it and they will come or if, if you build it they will come I probably misquoted it but I think the, the gist of it was there and that is in fact from uh, a film called Field of Dreams yeah which ties into our show because it doesn't oh no it does because does there's that bit in Kong Skull Island where it just turns into baseball because he uses that tree like a baseball bat okay that's so a good that was the I'll give you that yeah, that I was what that. we planned the whole time I totally knew that when I dropped that quote in last week and it took your quote away because you know you had one ready so now <laughs> now am I waiting for you and you're waiting for me do you have a line for this week 
I haven't got a line for this week. I thought you would use yours oh, from last week because oh, I feel bad that I kind of jumped in. So I can't remember what mine was from last week. I can't remember what yours is. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's. Oh no, let's leave with my line from from this week then, um, avid listeners to this show. My line for this week is, uh, "Don't run before you can walk." I kind of like running. <laughs>